Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. He has risen. I win Easter in your face. <laughs> wow. Early contender on Easter 2020 there. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I mean, that's just impressive. With us all the way from our church, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. This show comes out on Wednesdays, right? Indeed. I wouldn't know I don't listen to it, but I I no thought it should. was Wednesdays. But that means it's actually Christmas Day, right? Right now. It's a week before Christmas Day, currently. It is the oh, it's a week before Christmas Day. The next yes. episode will be Christmas Day. So we are the we we are the ones who bring Christmas to the people, essentially. Yes, That's there's right. if you This show are... will come out on Christmas. This is our show is a stocking stuffer for the people. No doubt about it. Also on this episode that's coming out releasing on the 18th this is a reminder to our male listenership in their 20s that you have a week yeah start buying stuff now that's right that's a good point because yeah. yeah. that whole like you know baby it said one day shipping and then amazon jeff bezos really screwed me that's not gonna fly nope and let me say this fly. on that ask her best friend what she wants that's how don't you don't do guess it. don't reconnaissance guess. Reconnaissance is important. Don't just buy soap. <laughs> that sounds that a bad message. Don't don't you know and don't saying? don't buy her a sweater. You will get the size wrong, and that's meetings. Uh, let me just say this too before we get into the meat of the what we're doing here. We have that we meat have, is venison, by the way. We, <laughs> it's venison. We, we have to address what's going on here yeah. because we have an imbalance that's happening on this show. Is okay. it a humor one? Wow. Well, now, Here's do you where, find Jed too bilious? <laughs> <laughs> Most he said, people do. He's completely phlegmatic. Here's here's what I'm saying. Uh, we've got a a balance. You know what I mean? It's like you watch your favorite Sex and the City show type okay. show, and like th- this one's a funny one, and that one that makes like, me think that Glenn has discovered other Sex and the Sh- City shows that the rest of us don't know anything about the way he worded that. <laughs> oh, I read the fan fiction. Believe me. <laughs> Wow, I don't. But here's what I'm saying: It's like, yeah, once, once, yeah, but you know it exists. So now everything you say is suspect. <laughs> like one's a funny one, one's sure. a, like a serious. I don't know sure. whatever. The different types. You yeah, know what I'm saying sure. like boy bands. There's the the cute one, yeah, and the one yeah, who can yeah. sing, and the one who's forty. Yeah, <laughs> so one's a little dangerous. You know, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's the bad boy of the group. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg, who presumably drives them all because he's 38 years old. There's like uh, one of them that's an accountant, which is like, how did he even get in handy. We got a balance here. Yeah. Okay. Now here's here, because we're all different types here. Mm. Sure. Water type, fire type. You you got, you got, uh, you got Lee. He's the handsome one. I've got the power of heart. That's. You're the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) We got, we got Lee. He's the handsome, you know. Sure. Pretty in the face, yeah. well behaved. Definitely. You can take him home to mama. That Certainly guy. comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. You you got Jed, adorable, yeah. scruffy. Right. Yeah. He's the he's the puppy that you that you take home to your parents and say, Can we keep him? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's okay. fair. That's fair. I'm the cool one. Then sure. we have Matt. Mm. Now I feel like we skipped over that one before we really got to We don't need to analyze it. it. I'm the okay. cool one. Now here's what happens with Matt. <laughs> yeah. 
is Matt was always the single one. Right. That sure. You could have hopes and dreams. He was the on. attainable one. That's what it is. <laughs> wow. He's the one that you could take down from the herd. You see sure, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Sure. Was, a limping gazelle of a man. That's right. But now he's been took down. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He's been he's been got by the apex predator of love. Well, here's what it is. What is Matt now? Right. See what I'm saying? Sure. He's just another guy sitting here. Right. Yeah. So here's we got to Matt does what he's told, just like the rest of us now. Right. So yep. we got to That's exactly right. We got. I want to cut in here. Um, I think it's not so much I was the attainable one because no one tried to attain me until well, well the current one. eventually. But I think what I may be an outlet for your. If I didn't have to do what she said, I could do a lot of things. Right. Fantasies. Yes. And now I just do what I'm told like everybody else, and that, that killed a part of you. Completely. Okay. And so- This one is all on the same page. Here's what I'm saying is we had, we had to figure out what is Matt's thing now. What's his brand? Right. What's his brand? What is, yeah. how, how does he, you know what I mean? Right. I'm going to throw this out there. Okay. If you guys don't like it, you know what? Tell me. You send it right back. Magic. Magic? Oh. Yeah. He does magic tricks. I do like sleight of hand. (laughs) He could do magic tricks on the podcast. Say no to drugs. Say yes to Matt King's magic. (laughs) I I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Can I offer kind of a, you know, a variation on it? Sure. Can we fashion Matt into our very own pen and teller? Yeah. He does magic trips. There's a ton of snark and he's a skeptic. That's right. I am already insufferable. So I (laughs) jump to that. He could, you know, he could say... Like, I'm right know, about a lot of things, but in a way that you hate me anyway. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. I, I, I think we got something here. Okay. So, you could wear a cape. Well, here, here's what I'm going I'm to tell you. It's yeah. a good opportunity to tell this on the podcast. Okay. Because uh, can possibly my brand could be um, kind of well-meaning oaf um. who can't quite get things right. Because, <laughs> as you alluded to... Yeah. I did get married yes. in this last year. What the listening public may not know that the three people around the table here know is that I got married twice. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I think that story needs to be told. I think it can be told now because now, because it's cleared up legally, it's a funny story. Okay. Right. Worry not, gentle listener. I got married twice to the same woman. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, we had... Was that like that? You, you drifted apart, but then there was a recommitment yeah, and there, the there whole wasn't thing. even a breakup. Yeah, no, this is we one A and one B as okay. I dubbed it. Okay. It was a two part, like a rocket separating, kind of wow. a two stage process. Okay. So we can so we had the wedding. Yeah. It was lovely. We had yeah. here in a f- fine suburb of Chicago, Lee performed a ceremony, brought everyone to tears, lovely, surrounded by family and friends in a beautiful place. I ate chips. Absolutely. There were chips. There was there was and this is true, and y'all can write this down, people are gonna get married. Uh c- catering by Chipotle. It yep. was delicious. You've heard of it. Cakes from Costco. Ask anyone who's done a wedding that got catered by a catering company. Come on now. And had a fancy bakery do it. Yeah. And see if they don't start immediately weeping. That's what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, yeah. about. So here's what I'm I just like saying. Chipotle. People out there, if you're if you're thinking about getting married, your mom's like, oh, we got catering. Here's everybody's first thought. Everyone married person who we told them the food would be Chipotle is that Oh, that's a great idea. That's great. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, a great so idea. So just saying, we pulled we pulled that one off very well, I think, all that's down right. to to my wife's uh, good thoughts. Now, there's paperwork involved. Right. In marriage. I thought that's it was right. in Chipotle. That that I was Well, confused. Chipotle as well. Okay. But she did the Chipotle paperwork okay. and Chipotle did arrive. Okay. I, for reasons no one will ever know, 
was entrusted with a certain bit of the marriage paperwork. Okay. And now it's so you the have last a, time that'll happen. You have a license. Yeah. You go down to the, here, you go to the Cook County Courthouse, and they print the part. And there's right. a part you got to fill out, and your officiant has to fill out. Right. So we figure we're going to make this easy for Lee. He's doing a, such a lovely favor by coming all this way. Yeah. You know, it's preaching lovely sermons. So we want to just be able to sign it and move on about his night, hanging out with folks. So I, okay, I'll fill out the parts and da da da. So for some reason, my driver's license only has my middle initial on it. It's not okay. have my full middle name. So that's what they put on the marriage license because you hand them your ID. So the thing is, it's got a match. Exactly. So I'm first name. I know that. Write that. Middle name. I know that too. Write that. Uh-oh. My bride takes these post this license post-wedding to the thing at the courthouse. I'd like a certificate of marriage, please. And they say, oh, I don't think so. Okay. This doesn't match that. Okay. You can't be married in the eyes of Cook County. That's right. So, okay, uh, I understand. He's not, he got hit in the head a lot as a child. <laughs> right. There's martial arts, there's football, there's general clumsiness. You know, yeah. there's, there's, we've lost large, sometimes large segments of time just go missing. Right. right. But he's, he tries real hard. So I'm marrying yeah, him anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just give us a blank one. We'll fill it out. We'll, uh, we'll mail it to someone. We, we don't lack for knowing um, uh, ordained pastors. Right. So push comes to shove. We'll just grab somebody on a Tuesday and explain the story. They'll be happy to sign it. Well, no yeah, problem. Yeah. Said, nope. We got to send it to Lee in Tennessee. He's got to get it notarized. Oh, Lord. And fill out an affidavit that he indeed did do this thing. <laughs> and then send it back. <laughs> Lee. You got to take it to the whatever. And our friend Kristen performed their part brilliantly. Do yeah, that. Huge yeah. pain. Do it quickly. Put it in the mail. Week goes by. Hasn't arrived yet. That's okay. you know, just no problem. There's. Holidays and you know, man, whatever you know. Two weeks go by, three weeks go by, a month goes by. Wow, this thing ain't coming. Okay, it's you know, it's behind a bend in Kansas City somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, a good five weeks after wedding one A, <laughs> we go down to the courthouse the Saturday morning after Thanksgiving. Which, if you ever want to see a <laughs> motley crew, most Isley cantina uh, of humanity, I cannot strongly amazing. enough recommend well the said. Cook County Marriage Court. It's just ro romance breaking out. 9 a.m. Oh. the Saturday after Thanksgiving. That's not sexy. Did include one of my favorite things ever, which is a civil servant mid-chewing someone out for not pr following proper line procedure stopping to call the names of the next two people up and then immediately going back to still chewing this guy out nice to the point where the people in line she called thought they were in trouble <laughs> and started to leave and that was just a lovely chicago moment yeah oh. what's really stressful is this whole time y'all sleep in separate beds yeah we was like if you ever seen the old, like, if you ever seen the old lucy it, show it was two twin beds yeah, with our a, initials above them for some reason I mean, sleeping you, caps and everything yeah. and finally the paperwork comes through we can push the beds together i mean it's a whole thing yeah it's hot to wear those like full two-piece mr brady pajamas all the time <laughs> yeah i mean it's like you, you gotta Beaumont. keep Keep it, yeah. You got to keep it clean, y'all. I kept tripping I mean, over the ottoman, the whole thing. It was a full, full sixty sitcom, but we finally get it. And we filled out. I'm not allowed to touch anything. Yeah. So until I had to, this is absolutely true. We're filling out the license the second time, and he says, "Okay, sign here," and I sign it. He says, "I can't read that signature." Shreds it, 
What? Hands me another one. Gosh. Says sign it better. Oh, my for real? Which <laughs> I signed that one. He goes, nope. Shreds that no. one. <laughs> We're on one D for those playing along at home. Uh, it, well, this is How many times license. have you been married, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well, these were licenses. These didn't even count. Okay. But yeah. we, we are fully married. Yes. We got that done. But I think my brand, and I'm angling for this, is don't let him near paperwork. Okay. That's, that's a good brand. That, that whole beast is. of burden. Yeah. Yeah. A fetcher of wood. Yeah. But when it comes time to try to write his own name, <laughs> he's going to screw this up. Well, we, we have evidence that you don't know how to, to say, put your name down right on a piece Not of Not to the satisfaction of Jerome, the guy working the desk at the Cook County Vital Records office. <laughs> Jerome runs a tight ship. And the I don't aggression. Think- with uh, which he f- made eye contact with me as he fed that paper into the shredder was hey, rough. Let me tell you what, I don't Fantastic. think I don't think Joe Jerome ought to uh, have to apologize for running a tight ship. Indeed not. I also I suggested this and I thought it was not given due consideration. I think Matt should go everywhere introducing his wife Jenna as this is my first wife. Okay. It's also his second wife, but still, you sure. know, he could put it out there. <laughs> I would like to remain unstabbed. Yes. So I'm going to do that. I tried, and I think this is a funny bit, once we got married, referring to her as my ex-girlfriend, and that yeah. was not <laughs> well-received. I take you back good. to my Penn Gillette-like qualities. That is yeah, accurate, that. but it is not likable. Well, this is what, you know what, Matt? I think this is an important thing, because... We've all been married now on the podcast. We have? We've all, oh yeah. Oh wow. Some of us married hard with a vengeance. But here's what I'm saying. But are you double married? I've never been double married. Believe me, if you give me a second chance to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. And in that, the year 2019, we close it out. The year I got married both times. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and declare undeclared emergency off. Wow. It was a marital emergency. It very much was a month-long marital emergency. Yeah. And I, I will tack this on after it being closed out. I, I'll uh, allow it. Three or four years ago, I went to vote. They told me, no, you can't vote because my wife signs my name so many places and does not bother to in any way uh, Try and forge your signature? Yeah, she does not attempt to forge my actual Just signature. scribbles. She has discovered a the signature and assigned it to me. Yes. <laughs> I have to sign my name like that if I want to vote. Sure. Oh, my word. So this is what we're, you know, when I say I can relate to Matt, I can relate to Matt's story. Yeah. Yeah. We hope you can. So if you're a, a young, single, or a dating or engaged man listening to things, Go ahead and start buying your Christmas presents now. Yep. You got a week. And uh, write legibly. Can't stress that enough. We're gonna declare, on that, we're going to declare emergency off. We're going to move into our bridge box segment. Another thing I am not trusted with any vital part of, and I can't stress how much that means it will be in your inbox on the first of every month. Uh, so songs, sermons from Glenn and myself, uh, lots of Bible studies, lots of cool stuff. And the, we're going to be moving into the month of January soon. We're a little preview. We're going to be looking at handling success 
what that looks like. And that's a very cool question. So missionusa.com slash bridge rocks only $8 a month. The number one way that good folks like yourselves who like the show can support what we do. All right. Move on to our first question here. Thanks all the way to the end. I use some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there. First question comes in anonymously and says, what am I supposed to think when someone I'm close to is struggling or doing something unhealthy? Sometimes I'm angry at the person. Sometimes I feel like they're making it worse for me because I'm was leaning on them. And other times I just don't know what to think. Can you help me with that? And Glenn, where would we kick off here? I think it starts with patience. I mean, that's a big key ingredient uh, in, in trying to do anything that relates to counseling, anything that relates to uh, you know, more uh, long-term discipleship type stuff. It, it it And it certainly applies as well in situations where you have a friendship with another believer, where you're very close, because the thing about being close to somebody is you see a lot that is wrong with them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's just, you get to know everything, good and bad, about the person. And that that's always true. There aren't exceptions yeah, to that. That's right. right. You know, and... and um, it, there is something kind of maddening and, and frustrating about seeing something that's obvious to you that the other person isn't looking at at the moment. And it's kind of like, how could you not see this thing? And how, you know, you keep <laughs> saying the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, the first step to dealing with that is patience to say, okay, uh, God is patient with me. He's not in a hurry with me. He takes his time with me. I can do that for for my friends and for people I'm trying to encourage and minister to. Uh, patience is a very big key. Uh, uh, and I think people tend to tune out what you say or reject it or be defensive when you're impatient in what you're saying, if you're saying it in an exasperated way. I've been there. I have done that. I've made that mistake. And it's yeah. one of those things of, uh, you know, you what you end up, you initially end up saying, I shouldn't have said that impatiently. But when you look at it much deeper, you say, no, I should have said something before I got impatient. Hmm. Hmm. Because you, if you get impatient, that's the only way you can say something is impatiently. So that's, you know, uh, it, it's uh, that's a strategic thing. So we start with patience. Uh, the second thing is we have to manage our expectations of other people. Yeah. Uh, for me, again, I'm sort of reading this and, and hearing this in terms of doing discipleship with people, so I'm kind of giving you discipleship-based advice. But for me, when I'm discipling someone, I'm separating everything I'm looking at into two categories. What is the stuff that they will eventually figure out on their own because they're already moving towards it? You know, they're already growing in that general direction, and they will work that out for themselves. And then I'm separating off what is the stuff that they appear to be having no chance of working out. You know, that's just, it's, they're just blind to it. They're just not seeing it. It's not, it's not on their radar. Uh, And I want to zero in on those things because shining a light on those things can really help. Uh, us understand this and and have a breakthrough on th- all the rest of the stuff that we're already making forward progress on. Uh, if there's a part of this that people just don't get, they don't understand, uh, it, that's that's more of a key. So I'm not going by what I'm frustrated with. Is my point? 
Mm. I can look at something and say, this thing's driving me nuts that this person is doing. But if I, if I look at that and say, yeah, but there are, they're this thing, they're in the death throes of, of defeating this. They're going to defeat it. And it's like, it's getting worse just before they kill it kind of thing. They're cause they're wrestling with it. I can be patient with that because I can see it's working out. I don't need to be impatient and, and, and talk about it cause it's frustrating me. Uh, so then that leads us to the idea of timing. And timing is super important. There's a point when it's a good time to bring this up. There's a point where we missed a good opportunity and now it's going to be an unpleasant thing. Uh, and I think that it gets us into the idea of there should be a discrete order of things in which, the, the, in which we confront things and deal with issues. Uh, the things that are frustrating you about this other person or the things that uh, you're disappointed in in them or the seeing their struggle with and you getting angry about that, that is almost certainly a symptom that's on the top. Mm. If you're addressing that, well, we're not getting anywhere. We need to go three or four layers down to see what's driving this symptom of behavior that you're frustrated with. The thing that's three or four layers down that's driving this is not something that is frustrating you. It's not, it's maybe not be a, a super big thing, but it also might be something that person doesn't have their defenses up about. It might be something where they're more open to talking about it. And so by taking a deeper look, you might get to that, that level of breakthrough with it. Uh, and I, and I'm saying this as an impatient person. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is easy for any of us. Uh, but I think if you're if you're trying to help people in that kind of counseling, discipleship sort of way, it starts with being patient and figure out what do I need to say and when do I need to say it. Yeah, that's an excellent place to start that off. It really is. And Jed, I think an important place to move from here is that idea of which we look at a lot at the bridge is that idea of um, I was leaning on this person, yeah, and then they they did something wrong. And as Glenn points out, when you're looking at something from a discipleship standpoint, there's a very specific way you want to do that to be successful. Also true of whatever relationship you want to have with this person. So sure. if it's a peer thing, um, you're going to may feel some things about yourself mixed up with your feelings about them. But that's not necessarily wrong, is it? Right, right. No, I totally agree with everything Glenn said. But let's flip the relational dynamics for a second. Let's say that this is a person who maybe even if they weren't discipling you, there was more of, you felt like they were farther along in their life and their walk than you were, um, or a peer relationship either way, but, but where you're, you're not really trying to disciple them. It's either more of a peer thing. Um, or again, maybe they're a little bit farther along in their walk than you are. So let's look at it from that angle for a second. I think one of the things that is really common in these moments is just feeling let down and feeling so disappointed because there is a sense, it, the logic doesn't really track, but there is an emotional sense of, if this person can't make it, what does that say about me? Right. Uh, if, if this person isn't holding on, am I fooling myself by thinking I should be holding on? You know, I mean, what's, what's the point here? Which, for what it's worth, that's an ancient question. Um, there's, there's examples of that in the book of Psalms. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to feel how we feel. I think one of the things where we get in trouble is we try and censor our own feelings before we fully had them, which doesn't work very well. If you feel let down and disappointed, I think you need to allow yourself to feel let down and disappointed. 
you may not need to state that to this other person, but you do need to be able to say out loud, maybe to uh, uh, someone who's in a pastoral role to you, it could be a counselor or whatever, certainly to yourself and to the Lord in prayer, I feel let down and disappointed. Mm. Regardless of what is or isn't going on with that person in their own life, I feel sad and I feel let down and I feel disappointed. I think it's really hard to move forward if we won't admit those emotions. That's right. I, I think that we might... Be reluctant. You're, and you're talking about instead of making excuses for the other person. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think it's a really cool point because I think that so many times the question that we're asking is, how should I act about this? Rather than taking any survey of uh, are the, the different options of actions, are they completely colored or disguised by the different things that I'm feeling? Exactly. So what you're right. talking about is taking a survey of your own self before you even considering options. Am I reading that right? You're you're reading that exactly right. You're reading that exactly right. Look, we see this dynamic a lot actually with folks in addiction. It's a common thing of I'm in rehab and my buddy's in rehab with me. I I didn't know him before I got here, but, but now, and I feel like we're in this together and we're, we're both, we're working this together and then he falls off and I feel devastated about that. He's back out there using, and I'm just a blur of feelings and emotions And one of them that I need to admit before I figure out what it means, before I figure out what to do with it, before I figure out what the way forward is, I need to be able to admit I feel let down and I feel sad and I feel disappointed. And I think we we tend to censor ourselves on that because we don't want to blame this other person and we don't want to feel like we're making them out to be a villain. And maybe it's selfish of me to feel sad and let down and disappointed. We need to cancel all of that. There's not right or wrong with feelings. You've heard us say this before. There's right or wrong with what you do on the basis of feelings that you have, but the feelings themselves don't have a moral quality. You just feel how you feel. But it's 10 times harder to make the right choice of what to do if you won't acknowledge the true nature of the feeling. If you feel sad and let down disappointed, feel sad and let down disappointed and, and admit that to yourself and admit that to the Lord in prayer. And if you've got people where it makes sense to admit it out loud to them, that's a good idea too. Then we need to look at what do we do? Then we need to look at what, is, what does all this mean? You are allowed to be sad for you and also sad for them at the same time. Uh, there's, there's not a limited quantity of sadness where to be sad for you means you can't feel badly for them also. You, you can actually do both. And, and I think in due time you will, but you kind of have to give yourself permission to recognize, I know they're hurting, whatever the thing is, whether it's a you know, problem with their marriage or a substance abuse thing or, or whatever it is, they're hurting, they're going through a rough time. And I'm going to feel a sadness for them because it's someone I care about and they're, they're going through it. But I'm also sad for me at the same time. Mm. Um, I think it is good to have a sense of how did this happen um, to a point. You know, I mean, uh, with, with addiction, for example, addiction is an illness. It's, it's a disease. We, we can look at the specific um, mechanisms through which this relapse manifests, and there may be value to that to a point. We're not going to find an explanation, though, that makes our feelings go away. That's that's the thing that we're not going to find. And I think it's important to know that because when something really bad happens, that's our instinct to look for, is let's find an explanation so that I don't have to feel these sad, negative feelings. And I, I can have a nice, tidy package to put everything into. 
feel the sad negative feelings. Don't let them take over your life. Don't let them tell you what to do, but, but, but go on and feel them. And then look at what do we do now? There may be lessons to be learned. You know, in the case of addiction stuff, they stopped going to meetings, they stopped having good accountability, and then a relapse happened. Okay, well, that, there are some lessons to be learned in that case. You know, uh, a guy's, you know, he's got the, you know, the marriage problems and, you know, there were, there were warning signs for a period of a number of months and he just kind of ignored them. Okay, well, maybe there, there, there is a takeaway there and we do want to look at that. But those takeaways are meant to inform decisions that we make in the future. They're not meant to cancel out our feelings. It doesn't, lessons learned and feelings don't interact in that way. The truth is that you're dealing with a grieving process. That takes time. Trying to cheat that process, trying to artificially shorten it, I think it's probably going to make it worse in the long term. But I also think it's going to keep you from learning what lessons can be learned, and it's going to keep you from figuring out how to be there for your friend when they are ready to receive good things moving forward. It's a really, really great point and excellent other angle to look at that through. And Lee, I'd love you to speak up on something you were talking about earlier which is this idea of having some definitions here. I think this takes us back to something both Glenn and Jed are saying here, which is when you have a lot of bigger rush of emotions about this, we might need to do a lot of defining about yeah. uh, terms of relationships, who's involved in what, what we're trying to accomplish, what stage we're in, where is that kind of stuff going to take us and how is that going to help us deal with the feeling we're having? Yeah. I think that when you're, when you're in the middle of watching someone that you care about, have a hard time or, um, you know, have a disappointing turn and you have all these emotions, exactly as these guys are saying, there can be a feeling that you are the only one who is solely responsible for rescuing this person. And because you're friends or because you have a relationship or whatever, you've got to do the thing and you have to stand up and you have to say what's right. And that, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you can feel that are kind of a burden of responsibility. I think it's really important in any of these issues to back away from the situation far enough to be able to ask certain questions. One of them is, what is my role? Like, is it my role to actually confront this person about this behavior in their life? That's a, it's a, it's a really good question to ask. Um, it may be that we are friends or we are peers or in the in the hypothetical that Jeb was setting up this may be a person who's over me in you know in in ministry or the person who discipled me or anything like that i may not be in the position to actually be the person to hold this person to account that may not be what our relationship is like so but in the middle of all these feelings that we have that a lot of things that Jeb was talking about, a lot of things that Glenn was talking about, the feeling that you can have is I am the only person on an island that can rescue this person. And it's my responsibility to do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what, I've got to I got to pluck up the courage to to call this person to account. I got to stay strong for their sake. <laughs> That's right. Or, you know, if you know, Jed, if I don't say something, then it's like I'm I'm saying that this behavior is OK. Oh, yes. That's the classic. Yeah. And so I think the first question that we want to do is get ourselves far enough away to ask the question, is this my role? Is it my role to actually fix them, to actually call them to account? Am I their pastor? Am I their therapist? Am I their counselor? Am I, am, am I in a leadership position in their life or have I ever been? That's an important question to consider. 
Notice that a lot of the things that we're talking about are things that happen way before the confrontation conversation. The things that Glenn was saying about patience, the things that Jeb was saying about emotions, and the things that I'm talking about with definitions, these are all questions that are, that are preemptive. Um, and what happens to a lot of us is we just jump into the conversation. So what's up with your behavior, man? Um, I, I got to roll out like that, but we got to consider a lot of things beforehand. The other thing that I would, that I would stress, and I don't think this is a thing that Christians ever do. And what I, when I said, I don't think it's a thing that they ever do. I mean, like, I don't remember having conversations with people who think like this, which is before you go call somebody else out, I think it's worth taking a walk. Or sitting in a quiet room and asking yourself the question, what if one of my friends called me out on this? How would I respond? That's an interesting question. Yeah. And the reason it's interesting is because, especially if you can kind of create the hypothetical in your mind, and even if you could get worked up about it, like, you imagine, like, I'm going to imagine that Glenn is going to approach me and call me out about something in my life. And I'm going to let myself get pissed about that. And I'm going to let myself get defensive. And I'm going to let myself, well, how in the world could he ever, when he doesn't even, he doesn't, he, he don't know, you know, and I'm going to let myself do that whole thing, write that little narrative. And the cool thing about a, a thought uh, experiment like that is I might come up with, well, you know, Glenn, uh, imaginary Glenn, if you had said it like this, I might've heard it. And then boom, I've got a clue hey, maybe when I have this conversation, I'll come in on this note. You see, if we take a little bit of time before the conversation happens and just play it out, what if somebody was calling me out now and just go ahead and let yourself get worked up and pissed about it and the whole thing. Now I might gain some clues as to how, how to be a person when you approach somebody. Um, th these are just some thoughts. Again, this is all way before we actually get in this person's space. Uh, we want to think about patience. We want to think about, we want to process emotions. And then I need to think about what this would be like if it was happening to me. Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to think of that. And as Lee is saying, as all these guys are saying, this is one of those things where we do really want to push through that emotion, not because the emotion is wrong, as we saw on the show, or not because you're not right to feel any and all the things you're feeling, but because acting purely out of the emotion is almost certainly going to get you to do or say something that's not helpful to your friend, not helpful to your own relationship with them, not helpful to getting you moving forward. As Jed uh, was referring to, this is something we actually deal with a lot with our friends who are uh, working addiction recovery. And often it manifests in a way of, you know, Joe over at the center and I were, we came in at the same time and we we're buddies and we were both doing pretty good. And then he relapsed or fell off or did something to get kicked out. And there's a lot of feelings in that that being described here of, you know, there's anger, there's fear of if he, we were both doing pretty good and I felt pretty good about that. And what, if, what does that mean for me? I think that also comes up in the dynamic, both Jed and Lee were talking about with, you know, I talked to this person about my problems or I read that guy's book or whatever it was. And then they did something crazy or did something that I disagree with. And what is that a lot of that can boil down to what does that mean for me? And that's yep. actually a good thing. That's not a selfish idea. It's not a bad idea, but it's when we do want to interrogate fully and not just leave in that kind of nebulous emotional realm. Because if you read a, 
a book by a guy or heard some sermons from a guy and he ends up being uh, crooked doesn't have to mean anything for you. It may mean you want to go back and look at the things you were told by that person and reevaluate if they stand up on their own. If your friend fell off, it may you may want to look at what were they doing around that time. Is that something I'm prone to doing where they kind of get a little overconfident or starting to play with it. Is that something I'm prone to? There's really good answers on some of this stuff, but we have to let that emotion be a jumping off point. It could be a good one, but we don't want to just sit in that stew and land there and judge our emotions. That never leads us to where we want to go. We move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I'm frustrated about a lot of things I can't control. There's so much negativity around me. It feels like I'm choking on it all the time. How can I get away from all that? Ah, uh, the majesty of Christmas. <laughs> and Jed, where do we start off? Well, in the spirit of the majesty of Christmas, the immediate answer to your question is you can avoid some negativity. You, you do have that power. You don't have the power to avoid all negativity because this is a messed up world that you live in. Yeah. But you can, for example, uh, you can l- limit your contact at Christmas with Uncle Ed because we all know how he is about everything. You can unfollow certain people on Facebook and Twitter, um, and you should do those things. Those are really, really good things, and and you definitely should for sure. That's not the same as, you know, just breaking free of all negativity, because again, there's not really such a thing as that. We want to be clear that on this podcast, we celebrate incremental improvement. We yeah. think that's just right. So if limiting contact with Uncle Ed and you know unfollowing a half dozen people on social media, if that lowers the negativity level by 10%, man, is that worth doing. It's a steal at twice the price. You should totally do that. But then there are two things that follow on that. The first is recognizing we're still going to need to figure out how do I deal with negativity in a healthy way because I'm still going to be encountering a lot of it. Um I don't know if this is true or not, but it certainly feels like the world is more negative now than it was a few years ago. I mean, it really feels that Shut way. Shut up, Jed. What a dumb thing to say. <laughs> I'm just I'm saying. I mean, it really, it, it feels that way to me. Now, look, I want to be clear. I, I've, I've reached the old man part of the program because I'm talking about how things used to be better than they are now. You get so, off my lawn. Get off my lawn with your negative selves, you We kids. used to telegraph people positive things. <laughs> Not so, like your Twitters now. Exactly. Have so a nice call day someone stopped. On, you'd call someone on a landline. <laughs> and they were thankful when they picked up and grateful <laughs> to hear their voice. <laughs> now that I have completely outed myself as an old man, I, I again, there's a lot of negativity in the world, whether it's more now than it used to be, and I think it is. But either way, we need to learn how to deal with negativity because you're for sure going to be encountering quite a bit of it. And part of that is, are you seeking positivity? Because that is not the same as avoiding negativity. Here's a fun game uh, that I think you should try at home. We talk to a lot of different kinds of people, and all four of us, we intentionally ask a lot of open-ended questions. Uh, just, you know, tell me your story. How did you come to be that you are? You know, what, you know, where would you like to be in five years? You know, a lot of open-ended questions. And you'd be shocked how often, the vast majority of the time, people share their aspirations identified completely by the negative, the things they don't want to be true. Well, I don't want to live in this city anymore. I tell you that much. Noted, are there cities you would want to live in? 
Because that's actually much more actionable than just not wanting to live in this one. You know, yeah, I don't want to do this kind of work the rest of my life. I'll tell you that much. Noted. Do, do you have career aspirations that are achievable? Because not doing this is not a career plan. We, right. we, we would have to do something else. It's funny. And, and I think now I've told you that if you talk to people, you'll notice people do that all the time. You will have 10 to 1, I think, uh, people telling you the negative stuff they don't want more than the actionable positive stuff they do want, mm. which is kind of crazy. And it's worth noting because it's really hard to pursue not a negative, right? You can, I want to not be a plumber. Okay, that, that's, again, that's not a career path. There's infinite other things you could do, but not a plumber is not, that's not, you can't, no one will employ you as not a plumber. That's, that's not a work that you can do. Where did this crescent wrench come from? Oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so the question becomes, do you know how to pursue positive things in your life? Do you know how to pursue positivity? That's a really valuable skill to develop and a really powerful um, attribute to nurture within yourself. And it's one that you may find is fairly rare, actually. And the best way to do it is to find people who, at least in one area of their lives, are pursuing something positive and hang out with them. It's pretty hard to just create positivity out of nothing particularly if you don't consider yourself a naturally positive person. Um, but what is doable is to find people that are already surfing that wave, people who are already going in that direction of pursuing something positive. Again, even if that's in one area of life and follow them on that journey. That's a lot easier to do. That's part of why people find so much strength. We were just talking about addiction and recovery in things like AA and NA and Celebrate Recovery is these are other people that are already making a positive change in their lives and pursuing mm. that positive growth. And you can join them on that journey. And man, it's such a powerful thing. It's such um, an uplifting thing to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm riding a positive wave. There's actual positive momentum behind me rather than just trying to avoid something sucky, right? That's going to bring us back then to that idea of we do want to avoid the negative stuff we can, but we're going to encounter a lot of it. So how do we deal with that? And here's the big thing that I have found and that I would encourage you to look at. I think one of the most powerful tools for handling the negative you are going to come across is having positive narratives in your life. Yeah. Having actual good stuff to think about. We, were, uh, Pete and I were at jail earlier today and we were talking about this exact topic. You need better things to think about in your life, man. Mm. Um. If you don't have ammunition of stuff that you feel hopeful about and you feel excited about and you feel energized about this to the positive, it's going to be so much easier for the haters to take you down. Mm. Trying to hold your breath on not breathing in the negativity, you can only do that so long. But if you've actively got positive stuff that you're vibing on and you're thinking about and that defines your life, it's going to be so much easier to let that negative stuff just roll off your back and you keep rolling. It's a really excellent point. That is the way to start this off. And Glenn, let me get you to pick us up there because I think um, what Jed gave us there is absolutely the right uh, big picture goal. But the the day to day of that's going to look a little different because, like all things, um, moving from a, a negative place to a, maybe a more positive place, even in your own mind, is not going to be a a step by step progression. We're not going to yeah. just be two point five percent more positive than we were yesterday until we're all the way positive. So, yeah. what do the ups and downs of that journey actually look like? Well, I think it, it's about looking at 
um, it, almost like a budget that you would have for your money. There, if I have a bunch of things go wrong with my day, I'm spending out a lot. So I need to put a lot back in in order to get where I'm going. Uh, the problem comes for most of us when we've spent a lot out, we know we're not in a good place, but we just keep plugging along like there's an infinite supply of gumption and willpower and sanctification inside of us. There isn't. You're human. I'm human. You have your limits. You get angry enough or frustrated enough or exasperated enough, you will snap and you will lose all sight of your <laughs> sanctified self. That's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for everybody else in the world. So what's the key there? The key is to know your limits. Uh, Jed and I were having a conversation the other day, and we've gone back and forth with this, where we have to take the, with where there's a warning light that goes off on the dashboard that says it is time to not consume news <laughs> anymore. Right. Let me get out my duct tape and put it over that light so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And the thing is, you have to calibrate that well. That means having just feeling it inside your body of, nope, it's time to turn this off. I am now overloaded on this. This is hurting. It's not helping. Right. I need to not, I need to stop. So I need to know my limits and I need to live in a world where I have limits and, and be able to calibrate uh, when that's happening. Um, this is also important. Those limits change day by day. Today, you can take a whole lot because not a whole lot's going wrong. Tomorrow, a lot of things are going to go wrong and you're going to find the end of that rope a lot quicker. So again, we're not trying to do this by how tough you think you are or how sanctified you think you are or patient you think you are. It's what kind of a day are we having today and recognize you've got limits and, and uh, that that changes and goes up and down uh, on a daily basis. Here's another thing that goes up and down is the, the way the world works. Everything that you're looking at now that, that stinks horribly will get better. It will all get better. Because that's just the way life works. Everything runs in a cycle. Now, here's the uh, uh, the really fun part, is a lot of the stuff that's good now will be terrible later. <laughs> so, you know, Thanks, Glenn. You know, it's all, you know, this is, this is life, dude. Everything if, will be terrible eventually. A message from your friends at the Say That Podcast. <laughs> this is life, it's, man. It's the Glenn Happy Fun Time Hour. That's right. The The truth of this is, I can't ride that roller coaster. I mm. can't ride that roller coaster. Because if you dig what I'm, the point I'm making is there's always something going wrong. There's always something going right. And what does that leave me? And what it leaves me is exhausted. Uh, what I need to do is to detach myself from that roller coaster. I need to look at uh, cultivating my own mental space. And figuring out what I want to be in there, you know, it's like furnishing a room. You, you've you've got this one lamp that's five times too bright and gives you a headache every time you turn it on. I need to turn that news lamp off, you know, whatever it is. I need to turn this, uh, uh you know, toxic relationship lamp off and give it a rest for a while because I've I've had enough. Move it into the hallway. It's enough already. But 
I think the last step in this, and I and I, this is touching on where Jed was talking about, um, and I would put it exactly this way: find beauty, mm. find beauty. Uh, that's super important. I don't know how much of your life you spend trying to find beauty. The world is full of beauty. It's really important for you to go find that. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, that you fill your life up with those things. And that you're then able to put that beauty, reflect that beauty out into the world to make the world a more beautiful place. A really, a really lovely sentiment there and a lot of good advice in there. And Leah, I'd love to get you to close out here. Um, because I think we can all relate to, I think it's a very interesting point in the question of I'm choking on negativity and I feel frustrated because there's all these things I can't control. And control as an interesting thing in the context of what uh, Glenn is talking about as far as focus and uh, where to pick and choose our moments, because control can kind of be that same way, right? Yeah, this is exactly right. And, I, and it's coming in. I'm coming in right on the tail, uh, right on the tails of both of these guys where, where they're leaving this. The thing is, is that there is a lot of awfulness. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of awfulness that you can't do anything about. And, and, you know, it's funny because Glenn was talking about the, uh, the idea of a, of a budget. He was saying like, think about how much of your, you know, your brain space or your time, do you want to budget over here as to over there? And the thing that I was thinking of in my head right before he said that was, I was thinking of like a mix, like a mixing board where you have uh, knobs that determine what the volume of different kind of channels and just, um, this is right at the end of what Jeb was talking about, you know, when he was saying you actually can reduce the influence of negativity in your life as you focus on something positive and get moving in a direction on that. Well, what that's doing is you're pulling down the fader, you're reducing the volume of, of negativity. We're not actually reducing the amount of negativity in the world. I mean, it's still awful. But when I get moving in a practical and a, and a positive direction, I am increasing the volume of the positivity that I can control. So, so the question for me on something like this is, all right, I can't control the awfulness of unkindness of, you know, <laughs> just the crap that's going on out there, our leaders and the and Brexit and the world and everything's burning and, and everything's awful and everybody's so unkind. I can't control any of that stuff. Um, but I can control how I attack, how I attack the overwhelming, uh, prospect of, of, uh, all the Christmas gifts we have to buy. And I know that sounds small and pedestrian, but here it is. It's, it's December 18 as, as we're rolling this episode out and it's just overwhelming. Uh, one of the things that, that, you know, Christy and I were talking about all this, we have three kids, we got all kinds of, there's nieces and nephews, and there's all these kinds of people, you know, that you're buying gifts for and stuff. And so she just started making a list and it's like, let's just, let's just move forward a little bit on this list. And it's amazing. As soon as she started making the list and we started ticking a couple of the items off, how much peace flowed in. It was just super simple. Now this is a small practical thing. And it's like, yeah, the world's burning down out there. And yet I reduce the volume on things I can't control as I increase the volume of things that I actually can control that move me forward in a positive step. Um, there's, there is like, a, and maybe this is, you know, a certain kind of person, but like when I have like a, a list of small goals that I want to achieve, and then I cross those things off, that is like one of the best feelings in the world. And I don't know if that's everybody, but it's a great feeling. 
The other thing is that there, like, I think for a lot of us, what we want, there, there's kind of an emotional component to positivity of like, I'm not allowed to think that something is positive unless it's something huge, like getting my, you know, g- getting a degree or, or landing my dream job or, uh, you know, getting engaged or something like that. It has to be these huge things. Well, why can't it be something really small? I, I, would, I would defy anybody that if you have a, just a small practical goal and you wrote it down and then you met that goal, you will feel as positive as, as somebody that gets a degree as soon as that thing burns off. You know, you get the degree, they hand it to you, you take the photographs, and now you have it. Well, that's a huge and it's a great sense of accomplishment. You make a grocery list and go get those groceries and come back home and put those groceries away. That feels pretty dang close. I, I hate to say it. I, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but like that's a really good feeling. So what we want to look at is what can I actually control in a positive direction and start moving toward things like that. Um, I think that because uh, I completely agree with what Jeb was saying, I think we actually can reduce the volume of all these negative things. We don't change them because we're not in control of them. We don't have the power to change a lot of these things, but we do have the power to control some small stuff in our own lives. And to be honest, y'all, small stuff is big stuff. And the more honest we are about that, the better. The, the small stuff is big stuff. And if we get moving in the right direction on some small stuff, it's going to, it's the, the, uh, the net gain on our positivity is going to be massive. That's absolutely right. That's all great stuff from all three of these guys. We're going to move on to our final question, which comes in anonymously, and it says, I've got a problem. I worry too much about what others think of me. How do I get over it? And a great question indeed. And Lee, I'd love to get you to kick us off here. Yeah. My answer on this question is very similar to kind of the direction I was going to in the first question, which is let's, uh, let's change the perspective on this. Um, A lot of these kinds of things are really hard to see when you're inside of it. And so, you know, it's, yourself, you want everybody to like you. You want everybody to to see you as in a certain way. And when somebody doesn't, that's a really frustrating and confusing and disorienting feeling. And, but, and, and I can feel that way about myself, but if, you know, like people that I really love, like I, I just think Jed Brewer's the greatest guy ever. If, if somebody tells me that Jed's not their flavor, I'm like, you suck, dude. Like I don't, and how I don't care what that person thinks at all. Um, I said that in confidence, <laughs> and I don't care for you airing it here on the podcast. Anyway, the, the, it's it's just odd how quickly the hater bubble bursts when you turn it on something that you actually have some affection for, and you don't have to worry about that. You know, somebody says, "Yeah, I don't like the way Glenn did this or that," and I just look at him like, "Well, nobody asked you, dude. What does your opinion matter?" I mean, when we're thinking about ourselves, we have this odd thing where we think that everybody's opinion is the same and everybody has an, everybody has a point and an ax to grind and everything, everything counts. But then when you look at something you just truly love, like if somebody told me, yeah, I drove into Oak Ridge through that uh, Melton Lake drive and that view that everybody thinks is so pretty on the Clinch River, I just thought it sucked. I'd be like, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. And I think you suck. And it's so much easier to put a hater into perspective when you when you can change the angle on it and find something you just disinterestedly love. And that's instructive. 
because it's one of these deals where it's like, man, if Jeb was feeling insecure about himself, then I, and if I was talking him through that, I know exactly what I would say. Well, let's just turn that around. Why can't I coach myself through that same thing? I'm oddly, I'm not threatened by the haters towards something I truly love that's not so personal. Um, and then when it's me in the mirror, it's so much harder to see. So I think this is part of it is how can I distance myself so that I realize that I actually have a place in my heart where I realize haters are stupid. People share uh, unwanted hot takes all the time and nobody cares. Um, I actually do believe that. I just don't always believe it about myself really quickly. So I think in order to get that, gain that perspective, I just need to change the angle a little bit. And then I can find out um, just how little I need to credential certain people and, and how little haters have to say. We just need to change the angle sometimes to find out what we really think about stuff like this. That's a really, really smart way to look at these things. And Glenn, I'd love to get you pick us up there because I, let me just, I'm going to tell you where I'm starting on all this and maybe we can have, so I think everyone who's lives should adore me. Right. And hold me up for my wisdom. Sure. Bold stance. And my charm. Yeah. And uh, anybody who doesn't do that, it's kind of aggressive. Yeah. Like they're kind of missing out. Yeah. So that's, that's what I want. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the healthiest thing to want because a universal yeah. total adoration is a little tough to come by. Yes. Uh, so what should we be looking for out of interactions with other people? And what do we need to bring to interactions with other people to be able to have healthy ones? Well, it's a great question the way you're framing that, because I, you know, it, it is, I mean, we know it's unrealistic that everyone should think that we're awesome and so on and so forth. I recently watched a room full of tourists shrug while looking at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you, you know, wow. pe people are, you know, they, they, eh. it, it just people can really stink sometimes. But here's another thing that I think Bear is pointing out that everybody cares what other people think about them. You know, <laughs> there are times where you feel like, well, for you it's too much and maybe it is too much, but everybody has a certain amount of that and it doesn't take a lot of it to get to be an overload point. Yeah. So let's be fair to you that this is, and it's a reasonable thing to care about. It's not the the worst thing. It's a terrible thing to be controlled by those. There's a, bit, a lot of difference between those two. So let's, let's gradate that a little bit here. Um, let's start with this though. Do you have an accurate picture of you? Mm. I think that's really important. I, I think uh, I, there are times in my life and, and, uh, and in some ways I, still struggle with exactly how do I see myself? Because part of it is I, I'm comfortable saying, oh, I'm pretty good at this, and I don't need to do the math. I mean, what, what difference would it make if I was the, you know, the 37th best preacher in the world or the 127th best preacher in the world? <laughs> you know what I mean? What would that, yeah. I don't know, I don't need it. I'm pretty good at it, so that's fine, and I can move on. But the problem with that is it does leave me in a bit of a gray area, and it, it means I'm sort of constantly rating myself as average. And then every now and then I'm going back and saying, well, I'm not average. And also, 
people are treating me like I'm average, <laughs> even though I'm not average. So maybe I'm encouraging them to think of me as average because I'm thinking of me as average. Mm. So this is, you know, uh, I, I was talking to, to Jed about this the other day, sort of referencing what he was talking about, about humility on the podcast earlier, uh, humility being about looking at our positives and our negatives in, in a clear light and to be able to accurately assess where we're at. Uh, so, first of all, do you, do you have a, an accurate picture of you, what your strengths and weaknesses are? And I would really encourage you to get that. Because if people don't like something in you that isn't likable, well, you can't blame them. Sure. Right. Uh, if people, if you are awesome in some areas and someone doesn't see it, that is a problem with them and not with you, but there's bound to be a number of different possibilities on that. So it's about figuring out those possibilities. It's not about questioning yourself, obviously, because you've already worked out who you are. Uh, and then of course, figuring out what God thinks of you. That's kind of super important. Uh, I would say roughly, and I'm generalizing here, but generally a hundred percent of the people that I talk to in counseling situations have no real accurate picture of what God thinks of them or what they're going through, what the situation is or anything like at all. Like there's no clue at all, at all, at all. And that kind of forms the basis of a lot of these struggles here. So that's an internal thing we can fix right now and that we need to look at right now. And if we don't deal with that, we're going to have problems with everything else. So moving forward, then we want, we want to address, okay, how do other people see us? I want to separate out two different ideas. One is the image that you have with other people. And the other one is reputation. These are two very different ideas. Image is just kind of the things that people would say about you, you know, the kind of identity you're putting out there. I wear fancy clothes. I am a smart sounding person or whatever that I'm creating an image. I'm branding might be a better uh, modern word for that, you know, and so forth. Um, uh, that doesn't mean anything. It's not important. It's useless. It's irrelevant. And if it's good or bad, doesn't matter because it's just nothing. That's just, uh, most of the people, when they look at others, they're seeing mostly themselves anyway. So mm -hmm. it's just, you know, uh, image doesn't uh, uh, really carry a lot of meaning or weight or gravity. Reputation's different, though. If people say, well, I can always count on this guy, that means something. That has real gravity. That has import. There, There's something to that. There's substance to that. And you want to have a good reputation. The Bible tells us we need to have a good reputation, for example, with people who are outside the faith. Uh, so establishing that reputation and making sure it's very good with those people is not only biblical, it's kind of essential. So that's a good thing to focus on. Uh, that's not, again, it's not the same thing as image or branding or hype or any of those things. It's saying, I, you know, I, this is something I can count on for in, where this person is concerned. So therefore, uh, the goal is not universal positive regard, which doesn't exist. The goal is character. If you have character, you're going to have a good reputation. Uh, I want to have character in certain areas, and I want to be known for it. So for example, uh, if you come to the bridge and you talk to the people, like the pastors and churches that we work with, and say, uh, 
you know, describe what the bridge is all about. They'll describe the basics of the program, and they will inevitably say this. They meet on Tuesday no matter what. And they mean we meet on Tuesday when it's a crazy idea to meet on Tuesday <laughs> because it's a blizzard and there's there's hail and there's uh, flaming, burning sulfurs falling from the sky, and we're still meeting on Tuesday. Uh, we have a reputation that that's what we're doing. Some people mean that as we are crazy to do it that way. Some people mean it as that's a good thing that we're doing that shows our commitment. All true. It's all true. And it's all the way I want us to be known. Because if you're thinking of coming to this meeting and you're, you've been using this week and you've backslid and you wonder whether we're going to be there for you, the answer is we're going to be there for you. Get your narrow behind to this meeting because bet your bippy, it's going to happen. I don't care if you think, in other words, as other people portray that, I don't care if they portray it as crazy. I don't care if they portray it as a, a commitment and respectable whatever, whatever. I don't care if it's positive. I don't care if it's negative. I don't care what. I want that reputation as we're going to be committed in that way. So I think that allows us to separate out some things that are meaningful, that are right to be concerned about, versus other things that are outside of our control, and we can be led by those things and controlled by those things. That's a really, really good point. In a lot of ways, this does kind of um, tie into some other stuff we've been talking about in the show about controlling and some of the negativity and whatnot. And Jed, let me get you to close out here because we also, in our previous questions, have talked about the importance of specificity. Yeah. And I think that's an important one here because others is a pretty big group. It really may is. help to narrow that down. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we need some left and right limits. You've already heard some fantastic advice on this. So just to fill in a few things, um, it, we need to say that having a um, a concern for what anyone anywhere on earth might possibly think about you to the point that it keeps you from leading a, a good and healthy and satisfying life, that is too far in one direction. Yeah. Having zero regard for the opinion of anyone about anything as it pertains to you is too far in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, Christianity would teach you that. Common sense would teach you that. The need to coexist with other people on the planet Earth would also teach you that. So we need some balance. We need to, to land somewhere in between. And as Matt says, in order to find that in-between place, we're going to need to be more specific and the more specific, the better you say that you worry too much about what others think of you. And as Matt says, that's, that's a broad statement. So I need to ask you which others we're thinking of. If you mean random strangers from the subway that you will never see again, judging your choice in shoes, for example, well, that's one thing. If you're saying that you feel a real concern about your boss's view of you, that's a different thing. It's probably appropriate to feel invested in your boss's opinion of you. I'd recommend it. It leads to maintaining employment. And, and similarly, what are we concerned about? We need to get more specific. You know, um, are we talking about a thing where, you know, you like to tell jokes and you told a joke that just kind of fell flat and people didn't think it was funny? Or are you talking about you had a bad performance review? These are very, very different things. And I think... Really what we need in a lot of ways, and, and the thing that I think is hard for everybody, but it's particularly hard for Christian Slot, is we need proportion. 
Um, we, we, we really do need a sense. It's, it's not that we say this is all important and this is zero important, but we need proportion. We need a sense of how to weight these things. So there are a lot of people who, um, the thing they want to be known for, I'm, I'm not sure I fully get it, but the thing they want to be known for is they want to be funny. Um, and that's, that's fine. We all, we all, Glenn's talking about branding. We all have a thing that we want to be known for. This guy wants to be known for his funky footwear. This guy wants to be known for being funny. It's all, it's all cool. Um, and if you, you tell a lot of jokes and you tell a joke at a party and it, it just kind of falls flat, it's not that people are offended. It's just, you know, there, there wasn't any, any laughter in, in the response of it. Um, it's okay for you to note that's not my favorite response in the world. I wanted people to laugh at the joke. I'm rating that a one out of 10 on, I, I, I care that people think this about me. That's fine. That, that, that feels appropriate. If you have a sit down with your boss and your boss says, Jenkins, I need you to make some changes. I need your output to go through the roof. I'm giving you about a week and then it's over. If I don't see improvement, if you rate that as a one out of 10, we actually do have a problem. Right. That's I'm not sure I can tell you the exact proportion, but it's definitely higher than one out of 10. And I think this in a lot of ways, this is how we actually get better at this stuff is by learning to assign an appropriate proportion to things because there's part of us that can recognize, yeah, ideally I'd like everybody to have a a positive opinion of me. And I probably have, I mean, some degree, it may be minuscule, but I might have some degree of influence over, you know, how, how people just generally think about me. That's all true. It's easy, though, for that to become a thing where we kind of want to see, can I get it where everybody thinks I'm maximum strength awesome all the time, which is not possible. And the thing, again, that we're missing there is proportion. We also miss out on the proportion of what would that do for you if, if everybody thought you were maximum strength awesome all the time. Put it one other way. There's, there's a thing that runs through actually a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today, and it's an idea called opportunity cost. Um, the idea, right, is if you have $10 in your pocket and you spend a dollar on gum, you've not only spent a dollar on gum, you've not spent a dollar on an infinite number of other things that you could potentially have bought in place of the gum, but you bought the gum. So in, in a weird way, the gum only cost you a dollar, but it also cost you all the things that you didn't get because you got the gum, right? Cultivating the kind of reputation that Glenn is talking about and cultivating it with a particular audience. There's a specific group of people I want to have this reputation with. That There's an opportunity cost to that. We are um, intentionally cultivating a certain relationship, a certain reputation with people from inner city Chicago. That means that we are not cultivating a reputation with people in rural Idaho. And we are making peace with that. I think it's worth you asking yourself, thinking about, praying about, talking with your pastor about, maybe talking to your significant other about, who do I want to actively invest in their view of me? I think you should really, really think about that because you don't have the resources to invest in everybody really thinking that you're amazing. I happen to think you're amazing because God made you and you listen to this show, so you have great taste. But we don't have the time to invest in everybody. So... You, for example, if you have kids, you should invest in your kids thinking that you're a pretty awesome parent. You should invest in that. And you should invest in it by being an awesome parent. That that will be the way that we do that. You should invest in your spouse thinking you're a pretty amazing spouse. And you should do that by being an amazing spouse. 
Um, you should invest in your friends thinking that you're a faithful friend. You should invest in that. And the way you will do it is by being a faithful friend. It, it will all work out. You should invest in your boss thinking that you are a reliable and trustworthy employee. And again, and you, you may have already guessed the answer here, we will achieve that by being a trustworthy and reliable employee. That's, that's how we'll do this. The, the thing that I encourage you is think about the return you want. Think about the good opinion that you hope to have and then invest in those. And then here is, is my permission to you. Whatever time is left over for random people that you don't know, then yes, absolutely. Uh, give it to the random people that you don't know. My suspicion is there will be none. If you invest in your kids and your spouse and your friends and your boss and really earning that good reputation, that good view of all of them, my guess is that you will be insanely tired and definitely have no energy at all to invest in the random people. But if you do, the say that guarantee is we will back your play in making sure that all the random people in the world love you. Exhaust yourself into an emotionally healthy attitude. <laughs> Another groundbreaking strategy from your friends at the Say That Podcast. As all excellent stuff, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Today, I have a song this week. This is from our Bridge Christmas album, currently available on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you download or stream music, according to an email I recently got, including Napster, which is apparently still a thing. (laughs) I'm trying to go legit, and they have the Bridge Christmas album, which features. This song, which features our friend Zach Hughes and our very own Lee Younger, is called Come Down. Great Christmas tune. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast. We love our fans so much, we'd like to marry you twice. (laughs) (laughs) We're all walking in the darkness. We all stumble in the night. Lord, did you forget about us? Are you gonna make this right? Is this how we always will be? Is this what we'll always do? Do we have a hope of changing? Can we ever come to you? To you? Undo our own Wash, make us clean Oh, come down and change everything broken hearts give us reason to sing oh come down and change everything Lord what do you have to offer those who've lost all that's inside Our other plans have been exhausted We're too tired to make this right Would you take our hands and guide us? We 
lost her way so long ago Fill our hearts, Lord, and allow us To trust you and bring us all back home Back home Undo our own Wash, make us clean Oh, come down and change everything Heal broken hearts Give us reason to sing Oh, come down and change everything Undo our wrong Wash, make us clean Oh, come down and change everything Heal broken hearts Give us reason to sing Oh, come down and change everything 